just really want to thank you for being here tonight because the semester hasn't technically started yet. You're not, technically don't even really be here, but you chose to come and mom and dad didn't bring you. I mean, maybe they made you come here. Maybe you're, you're like saying, I went to mass mom and dad, so I'm not going to come anymore or whatever it is, but they didn't bring you. Uh, but I just want to say thank you because um, I just think it, it, it's like the whole campus, if they, if they knew what we were doing, they would be here. But you're here by the grace of God. So thank you uh, for being here. Jesus challenges us as we begin the semester to love him more than our dads. So when he says, unless you hate my, your mother and father, he, it's an idiom in the Jewish language to evoke emotion, to know that he's saying, you must love me more. Okay, so when Jesus says that, he challenges us even to love him more than ourselves, right? But if we don't, we can't be his disciple, So, or which means be his followers. So the, the best coaches, when you think about the best coaches and the best teachers in any profession, they'll always let you know the expectations of what it takes to either get an A in the class into what it takes to get a championship and what sport you play. But they also ask you questions to test you out of love because they know that we can do more than we believe we can do because they see more than we do. They see your potential. So Jesus asks two questions in a parable, or which is also known as a story, to teach you how to think. He asks the question, which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate to see the cost, see if he has the cost to see if he has enough for its completion? Otherwise, people are going to laugh at you, Right? To think, do I have enough lumber? Do I have enough tools? Do I have what it takes? If that doesn't like make sense to you, he gives you another parable to test you because he sees potential and you do great things. But he says, you know, which of you uh, marching in the battle would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops you can successfully oppose another king advancing upon you with 20,000 troops? The thing is, my friends, my life changed forever during my sophomore year of college when I was at a men's conference. My brother PJ invited me to go with my dad, Mark, and my uncle Mike, and then also my cousin Tomas. And Jesus had this just reckless love coming after me like the whole day. And it was as if I was the only person there. 3,000 men, but I felt like I was the only person there. But the thing is, I tried to deny it. And even asking myself, is this even real? Yet he kept breaking through. And when I experienced Jesus loving me in confession, when I experienced him loving me in the holy sacrifice, the mass, and the holy Eucharist, I changed. A little bit. The problem is, I tried to follow him alone. One of my problems is I didn't have a vision, right? And nor did anyone tell me what would be needed to take. I went to that conference and everything, is, I experienced the love of Jesus, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have someone teaching me, which we call discipleship, right? I was the fool who wanted to build a strong relationship with Jesus, but I didn't have any friends to help me see. I lived a double lifestyle. On Sunday, I looked holy, but then Monday through Saturday, you'd be like, what in the world is that all about? I was a dualist at heart. And I would hang out with friends Monday through Saturday who would almost more put me down more than lift me up. And I was a fool that Jesus mentioned in the second part of the parable. He says, you know, going to march into battle. So we have to know that, that life is a battle at times, right? And Jesus went to battle with war and to, with sin to go to war with that to, to win me back so I can help others do the same. But I didn't have any friends who could sit down with me even to see if I had, had what it takes to keep fighting the good fight of faith. 
The thing is, it's much easier to fight the battle when you have friends who have your back, right? So when you're falling, they catch you. Friends who will catch you when you're falling off track or you're completely off track, they'll call you out, not out of like hatred, but out of love, right? So what's the common theme here? I didn't have any friends. So today we're going to start a four-part series called Cheat Coding College. A cheat code is a sequence used back in my day with Nintendo, right? You could use a certain amount of like uh, sequences like with Contra, which is a great game, or Tecmo Super Bowl, whichever, and you could jump to another level and unlock secrets to help make the game easier, right? Some of us, we just make dumb decisions, which I call people who are jellyfish, which I'll talk about in a second. But cheat coding, we call it cheat coding because, we, you know, at the Newman Center, we're here to help you. And you're not going to get, going to get this formation or homilies like this or in your, in your classes. I just know you're not. And, and if you do, like, let me know because I'm totally plagiarizing this whole homily then. But I, I think I have yet to hear students talk, hearing about virtue in college. I just, I just don't hear about it in the classroom. But why would, we, why would I say it's important to cheat code this thing? Because there's an easier way to avoid hardships. So many people find themselves bombarded with coming onto campus or even coming back to campus, already feeling nervousness, already feeling anxiety. And that's what we're here for. Again, to help you, not to judge you, but to help you grow in authentic friendships. But to do so, I just find it very easy to look at the cardinal virtues. These are known as the hinge virtues. Virtues are actions that you and I do that actually make us feel human. The opposite of a virtue is a vice, also known as viciousness. And you can see that happen. And the charioteer of all the virtues that we're going to look at today, the first cardinal virtue, is prudence. Prudence in the Catechism, chapter 18, or paragraph 1806, says prudence is a virtue that disposes practical reason to think about our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. The opposite of prudence is, is extreme rash judgment, complete foolishness, or for me, the virtue of prudence is basically saying, don't be a jellyfish, right? So why would I say jellyfish? So a couple of years ago, there was a, uh, there was a conference we had, and, and a gentleman spoke about how, how jellyfish don't have a central nervous system, and they don't have a skeletal system. So when a wave comes, and it pushes them, they go, and they get washed up on shore, and he would bring them out and put them back in the ocean, and they go right back to shore, right? So many of us here who come to the Newman Center um, as a freshman last year, or a sophomore, junior, or even a senior, came as complete jellyfish, right? We've done some incredibly dumb things, yet we chose a change and, and had these things called conversions through friendships that led us to Christ. And just maybe by a raising of hands, I want to ask my sophomores, juniors, and seniors, how many of you have done something immensely dumb in college at least once? Right? So, fellow jellyfish, none of us here are perfect. So sometimes we, we go to college and we think we get to be perfect, and that means you're, you're in good company because none of us here are perfect. We do worship the perfect one. But the question is, like, why are so many people complete jellyfish? Um, and why do so many people struggle with not being prudent? You know, forming ongoing patterns of behavior that lead to depression, anxiety, isolation. You know, the catechism says that pr with prudence, it says a prudent man or woman looks where he or she is going. They ask questions like, is it really worth it if I do this? Will this actually truly make me happy? Prudence sounds like, I don't know what to do. I should probably go talk to someone who might know how to help me. 
or if you want to make it black and white, like I love this, just works with me. Will this decision lead me to hell or will this decision lead me to heaven? Like it's just, that's our, our, both our ends, right? We're either going to go to heaven or hell. And I'll be the first to admit I'm a recovering jellyfish. Sometimes people think that when you're a priest, you're perfect. You probably know by now I'm not, um, but I'm far from perfect. But there's always room for improvement. And many of uh, the people here are recovering jellyfish too. So if you're first time here, welcome to a room full of jellyfish, right? Um, but the thing is, we don't, we don't quit. We, we don't quit. So what's helped a lot of us? It's as simple as just virtuous friendships, sharp people. So just think about it. If you're, you hang around dull people or soft people, what are you going to become? You're going to become dull and soft. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, which is one of my favorite verses, says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So as Jesus mentions going into battle today, the true thing is, the reality is that iron sharpens iron when metal is hitting itself, right? So that's like when you have swords and you're going to battle, swords are sharpening themselves. And maybe it's just me, but like when I was in college, I felt like I was in a pillow fight against this stuff. I didn't know what to do. And things got difficult. Like a typical jellyfish, I would just like go with the flow with other people and I would avoid conflict, or they'd avoid conflict with me. And then we would do whatever everyone else is doing, even if it was extremely harmful and extremely appalling. But the true thing is, for you and I today, is, is you, you, know, you, you just show me your friends, and I'll, I'll show you your future. Statistics show that your friends that you make your first two weeks of college will almost always be your friends the next four to six years. Or for those of us who are special, you're seven or eight years, right? Uh, but that statistics, that statistics is, is really important because that means, you know, going black and white again here, that means either I'm going to lead my friends to heaven or I'm going to lead them to hell, right? Or either they're going to lead me to heaven or they're going to lead me to hell. But to cheat code this, you know, to cheat code this, I want to look at one of my favorite philosophers, ancient philosophers, Aristotle. And he talked about three types of friendships existing. I grew up probably knowing two of these. I didn't know what they were. Uh, with a label, but he said there's, there's friendships based on utility, pleasure, and virtue. Utility sound is not, and these are not all bad, by the way. So there, these are also, there's some, some merit in these, but some can get kind of dangerous. But he said, if you have a friendship based on utility, I'm just thinking of, of yesterday. It's so totally off topic. Yesterday, I locked myself out of my house, right? So <laughs> I needed somebody's help, right? So I, I was very happy that I had someone who was, who was useful to me, right? They had a key to help me get in my house, right? And they're, they're these, and, but basically, the, the only reason why I really needed that person is because they had a key. You take the key away, there's not much reason for that friendship to exist in a certain sense. But if you've ever been used by somebody, you know, you've been used by somebody, that can be extremely painful for what you have. Maybe think when you were kids and the one kid had the cool toys, even over his house, but maybe if he moved away, you didn't even talk to him anymore, right? And in college, you know, you have group projects, you have... You know, you go to coffee shops or wherever you go for transactional actions and just think about this. You know, like if you enjoy coffee, you go to the shop that serves a coffee that you like and they make money off of what you give them. And you might think, oh, I see them every few days and they're always happy to see me. But you take away your money and are they so happy to see you? The basic levels of friendship are, are, are common. But the, the primarily, this is primarily built on the benefit of the coffee shop. And, you know, if, you, if they get business from you, the benefit is that you receive good coffee. 
unless if you just oh, totally off topic here, unless if you like go to Starbucks, I'm not a huge Starbucks fan. This is my opinion here. And you spend five to $8 on a cup of coffee and it's so acidic and expensive. I personally think that coffee is dog wash, but like, um, you're just getting coffee, but you don't go there. They don't call you and say, Hey, where you been? We haven't seen you in a while. Right. That's just totally based on like utility. And that's no judgment if you like Starbucks, like good on you, whatever, I don't care. Um, second type of friendship is, is that Aristotle talks about is, is based on pleasure. You know, maybe, you know, you have certain friends, it's just because it's fun to be around them. And that's not a, not a bad thing, right? It's a, it's a good, good thing. Maybe you grew up in the same neighborhood or you, you like the same music, um, the same sports teams, same Netflix shows, the same party scene, you know? Yet when these things are taken away, what goes away? The friendship, right? For example, when you go to drink at parties where underage people are, are being served and the cops show up, everyone just flees, right? Aristotle notes that this is the most fragile type of friendship. And it's not going to stand the test of time because there's, there's no commitment. And these quote-unquote friends, you know, they're only committed to receiving something instead of giving something. Pleasure or fun they may get from the relationship is, is all they really want. And in friendships of pleasure, the benefit is, is, or fun times are no longer there because, you know, say you remove alcohol, you remove a drug, or you remove the cell phone, or you remove the hookup, or whatever it is. There's nothing there to unite you anymore. And again, it can turn into usury. If you've been used by somebody, you, again, you know how painful that can be. Now, most of my life, I only knew these two types of friendships based on pleasure or utility. Like I played baseball, right? So I, I, I just went to college and, and when, I, when I stopped playing college baseball, took the ball away, those guys didn't call me saying, hey, where are you, right? When I stopped hanging out with my friends who, who drank a lot, they didn't call me saying, hey, where are you? They did tell me they, they noticed I changed, but they didn't really want to hang out with me anymore. And I really, really encourage you to really pay attention to this because friendships based on utility and pleasure can easily, again, lead to being, being used. And again, they're not bad, so please don't hear what I'm not saying, but just pay attention in the next two weeks how much less people will smile on campus. You know, we're supposed to be free here on campus. Mom and dad aren't here anymore, right? I can do whatever I want to do. The question is, like, why is there so much unhappiness in campus? That's why we're here to cheat code this thing, right? How can I actually form authentic friendships that are deeper than hookups, that are deeper than academics or athletics, even the arts, right? How can I continue to actually be happy is what we're looking at. So again, as a recovering jellyfish, I really wish I knew there was a third type of friendship and the third type of friendship, Aristotle says, it says friendship based on virtue. So again, you have utility, pleasure, and virtue. This one is based on something so much deeper, which is beautiful. It's actually focused on commitment and, to you and your good. Not based off some benefit or enjoyment that someone is receiving from being with you. But also, the person who's, the people who are in this relationship, they give without counting the cost. They don't desire anything back from one another. The virtuous friends actually love each other in the truest sense. They seek what is best for one another because a virtuous friendship imitates Christ. As Christians, this is the highest form of friendship and it should be our aim in our friendships. For a virtuous friendship to develop, 
Bold people have to be striving for virtue. They have to be striving for what is good, true, and beautiful. And they don't need to be perfect, so thank God for that. But they do need to be pursuing a virtuous life together. They also need to be involved in one another's lives. Like whatever you, you like, I go, I, go to, you go to, I go to your thing, and maybe I don't even like going to that, but I go because I love you, right? That's what true friends do. A true friend also wants you to live out your faith. Because of this, it's essential that you find brothers and sisters in the Lord who can assure you that your faith not only survives in college, but actually thrives. So my challenge for each of you this week is to make a list of maybe 10 to 15 people you consider, I would say, quote-unquote friends. And just use the virtue of prudence. Like, like, look where you're going in these relationships. And write down whether they fall in light of a friendship based on utility, pleasure, and virtue. It took me until I was 27 to realize I didn't have one based on virtue. And if you've encountered Jesus, if you've ever met the living person of Jesus, because not all of us have, I get that, I've been there for, but if you have met him, make a list of where your friendship is at with him. Is it a friendship based on utility? Like, do I go to Jesus just, just to, to get something from him? When I only need something from him? Or I don't only go to Jesus when I'm having a bad day, so, he, so it makes me feel good, right, based on pleasure? Or I, I only pray to him when I, when I feel like it? or when other people are around. Again, these are not all bad things, but just notice how it can turn into usury. Or is your friendship with Jesus based on virtue? You know, when you go to him, because you just love him, when you look at the cross, you see your best friend nailed to it out of love for you. And he's your number one, no matter what. So Jesus challenges us because he loves us and he wants what's best from us and he sees potential in us to do great things. And his perfect love will perfect you. He doesn't promise an easy life. But he does promise a fulfilling life. So we have to use the virtue of prudence just to look where we're going and to make a commitment to forming virtuous friendships. And these can take time. Often we say things like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I really think the honest answer to that is, I just, I, I don't trust I think you're using the wrong word. I don't have time. It's really, I don't trust. But the Lord trusts you so much to the point he's willing to die for you, but also give you himself fully in the Holy Eucharist. Like, our God is so good. That should, like, blow our minds. And he comes to meet us here. And again, in gratitude, I thank you for coming. And sometimes it's just important as, as I thank you just to look at that last line of our gospel. Like Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must renounce all your possessions your cell phone, your car, your clothes, everything. Why? Because it all came from somewhere, and he's the giver of good gifts. And that's what the word Eucharist means, thanksgiving. It's another character of virtuous friendships is gratitude. So maybe right now you're thinking of some friends that are virtuous friends, and, and praise God for that. Like, we should literally praise God for virtuous friends, because where would we be without them? So we can just take a moment right now just to pause and just to pray for a moment and just to thank God from our hearts for the good people he's put in our lives that have called us to be the men and women he created us to be. Because the fact that you're here, I would say, in college is actually a miracle. And thank you for coming tonight. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.